Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 8. I know it's close to Christmas, but I'm going to kind of go a slightly different direction today. But I pray that God will use it to bless you and to challenge you. I find the easiest thing in the world is to become familiar with anything, to get used to what you have, whether that's in a marriage or whether that's in a job, uh, whether that's in a church life or whether it's even our walk with God. It's very easy to start becoming familiar and to take things for granted. So let me challenge you and refresh some of your thinking today. Luke 2 verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The Bible tells us that Jesus was born to be the Saviour of the world. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, I said it to you last week or quoted that scripture to you. It says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? Our salvation is a great salvation. God is not skinny, bereft. He's not lacking. He's not uh, stingy or, or kind of only willing to give a little. God cannot do anything insignificant because He's God. God cannot do anything irrelevant. People can be irrelevant. Churches may become irrelevant sometimes, but God can never be irrelevant. He is always present and always up to date. God can never do anything less than excellent. When you die and go to heaven, and I pray that's where you'll be, when you die and go to heaven, the streets paved with gold will not have potholes in them. The throne will not be held up by an old book because the leg broke and no one got around to fixing it. One of the reasons why in this church we are constantly trying to improve the environment we're in is not because we want to present something for our own name, but because we believe that's the nature of the God whom we serve, that our God always does things excellently. Everything that God does is immense. It's beautiful. Everything God does is significant. And so the salvation that the Bible here is referring to, the angels declaring, the salvation that Jesus bought and brought to the world is greater than anything we can hope for. It is a lot more than just you getting a ticket to heaven when you die. It's far, far more than that. It's a lot more than any blessing that you ever might get. There are people in this church that have, in this past year, had miracles of healing in their body, miracles of provision in their life, miracles in their home and their family. And yet, this salvation is far greater than simply material or temporal benefits, benefits that only apply to this life or to the life that is to come. It's So it's greater than anything we could hope for, better than anything we could ever earn, and more powerful than anything we could imagine. 
I want to dig into this quickly with you this morning. And I pray that if you have got that idea of God as being the old man in the sky that you are waiting one day to appear in front of and, you know, he's a bit doddery and really he's kind of forgotten what, what's going on. I pray that today will give you a very different perspective on what God wants to be and who He wants to be in your life and in mine. Way back in the very beginning, God decided when He was creating mankind, well, let me read it to you, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, I love my dog, Lola, beautiful dog, walked her in the bush this morning and I had a lovely time with Lola walking around. She wants to smell every blade of grass. But you know, as much as I love Lola and as much as I'm grateful for Lola and all that she means in our family, the reality is I can talk to Lola about a lot of stuff and she just looks at me and, and goes, and then looks for the next blade of grass to smell. Uh, Lola and I don't have fellowship. We have companionship. And they're very, very different. So I can have companions. Now I know some of you here already, I've lost you. Because you go, no, Jeff, you don't understand. My dog understands me. I'm here to tell you that even though your dog is wonderful or your cat or your budgie, your parrot, your python. I got a neighbor who's got a python. He says, would you like to come and look at it? I go, no, I see enough snakes in the bush. Thank you very much. No matter what it is your pet is, and thank God for the companionship they bring you. But there is a level of fellowship that you can only have with people that are like you. Isn't that right? I can have fellowship with my wife because we're in the same species. I just get companionship with Lola. Very, very different. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Why? Because his intention was not companionship. He wasn't playing Sim City. He wasn't starting some kind of video game where he got to look into humanity in the earth and got to see what we did and how it all played out. It's not some reality TV show to God. He said, I'm going to make you like me because he said, I want to fellowship with you. Well, let me prove it to you. Genesis 2, very next chapter, verse 22, speaking about Adam and Eve. And they heard of the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife who just sinned hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I love not the part about them sinning and losing their, their fellowship with God. But what I love is the fact that every afternoon, it seems, God would come walking in the garden for no other reason other than to hang out with Adam and Eve. He was wanting to have fellowship with them. It wasn't about what they needed Him to do. It was about saying, I want to be with them. What a powerful thing. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, talking about Enoch, says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. He walked literally out of earth into heaven. He had such fellowship with God that one day he forgot to stay bound to earth. He forgot to let gravity hold him here. And he so fellowship with God that one day he just kept on going. 
He just kept on walking. I've heard story after story of people that are relatives of friends of mine who when their moment came to pass away, it wasn't filled with terror. It wasn't filled with horror. It wasn't filled with sadness, but rather it was filled with, I see Jesus and oh, thank you, Jesus. You've come for me. I'm ready for you, Lord. Oh, I thank God that God's got something greater in mind than just simply watching the way I respond and the way I act. Genesis chapter 15, though, tells us, I think, where humanity often lives. Genesis 15 verse 1 is the story of Abram and his wife Sarai, later Abraham and Sarah. And, uh, you know, the big thing in their world is we've got to have a baby. we just got to have a baby. It's the big desire in their life. And, you know, the Lord appears to Abraham, speaks to him five times in the book of Genesis. They're all powerful. But this one, I think, shows us something about the trap we can all fall into. Genesis 15, 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, watch this, Abram, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. He comes to Adam, to, sorry, to Abraham, and he doesn't talk about babies. He doesn't talk about miracles. He comes to Abraham or Abram as he is then. And he says, Abram, I am your reward. I'm your reward. Not stuff, not answers, not miracles, not needs met. He said, Abram, I'm your exceeding great reward. And unfortunately, Abram misses the the power of the moment. Verse 2, and I won't read it out to you, but verse 2, Abram says straight after this, he says, God, what will you give me? I am your exceeding great reward. And his first thought is, but what will you give me? But what will you give me? And I think, uh, thank God for all the miracles I have experienced personally in my own life. Someone was asking me the other day about some of the things that God has done. And I was telling them just some of them. You know, some of the stories all over the world, in Australia, other parts. And I thank God for every one of them. But I don't want to fall into the trap of treating God as though He's a combination of Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, you know, and the Tooth Fairy. And that it's all just about, God, what will you give me? God, what will you do for me? God, I've been praying for this and why haven't you given it yet? But I don't want to miss the heart of God, which is I am your exceeding great reward. As great as Abraham is, he misses the significance of what's being offered. God offers us relationship and he offers to fellowship with us. I'm not saying that your needs or your problems don't matter. I'm saying that greater than what God can do for you is what God wants to be to you in your life. And right throughout the Bible, God seeks relationship with His people. We are told that Moses saw God face to face as a man encounters his friend. We are told that Abraham later is called the friend of God. David, despite incredible stumbles and mistakes, is called a man after God's own heart. Can I tell you, as a young Christian, my, I remember reading these things and deciding right then that I did not want to settle for just a God of convenience who answered my prayers, but I wanted to walk with God. I wanted to know God. I wanted to hear God. I wanted God to be a part of my life, not just my Sunday life or my ministry life or my title life or my calling life, but I wanted God 
to, to help me to know him and to be able to walk with him rather than simply be the God who did that for me and the God who answered. I'm not saying those things aren't important because of course they are. But the reality is that you and I are created for fellowship with God, not just service for God or obedience to God or to know about God. We are created for fellowship. Now, I know fellowship's a bit of an old-fashioned word. But you know what? You know, if you've got a friend that you just feel like no matter what transpires, no matter how much time elapses since the last time you spoke, they're just there for you. If you've got a friend like that, you're rich. I think if you've got friends that you have done journeys with, I think the saddest thing is that most of us, in particular in this modern time, we are so good at uh, defriending, unliking, uh, disconnecting, rather than going, I don't have any friends I haven't had arguments with. Not a one. That includes my wife. I haven't got any friends that I haven't sometimes thought, you're just a, can I say buffhead? Can I say that? It's a good Australian word for those of you not born in Australia. You know, a dropkick. No, you won't know that one either. Uh, a bozo. I don't know if you know that one either. Uh, a numpty. You know, that's probably another. I know a lot of good Australian words, but you know what I mean? Uh, some of you just go, well, I've had enough of you. Uh, most of my friends, all of them, are people that I've had to journey with, sometimes through misunderstandings or difficulties, but they become stronger friends because I journey with them. And I believe it's the same with God. I'm stronger because of the difficulties I've walked through with God and the times when I haven't understood Him, but I've kept on going in here. And I pray that you will be that kind of person who says, I'm created for fellowship with God. I don't just want to be a good churchian. I want to be a good Christian. Jesus said in John 15, verse 15, great verse. Jesus says this. He said, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. There comes this turning point where the disciples who are serving Jesus, the disciples who are empowered by Jesus, the disciples who do miracles in Jesus' name. There comes this turning point where Jesus says, something shifted and it's no longer about what you do for me. You're my friend. What a powerful, beautiful thing it is. Thank God for everyone who serves. But I want to make sure I'm a bit more than that. No wonder Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. He said, I want to know him. He's writing that towards the end of his life. He says, I haven't finished that journey. Let me give you another couple of scriptures here quickly. I know I'm giving you a lot today, but I want to give them to you so that over the next week or so you can think about them. And if you take these notes that are back there, you, they're all in there for you and you can read them again. First John chapter 1 and verse 3, listen to what it says. It says, For that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. We're good at that in church but also our, have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I do not know of a greater thing that a human being gets to do than to walk with God. I feel sorry for people who mistake religion and think it's relationship with God. 
They think that the most important thing is that you be obedient, that you be faithful, that you turn up, that you do good as much as you can. When the heart of God has always been right back from Genesis chapter 1, all the way through all those great Old Testament heroes, all the way up to the disciples of Jesus. And now John writes this towards the end of his life. And he writes and he says, don't ever forget that what it's all about is that you can have fellowship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me finish this this morning by taking you to a moment where some people get a little bit confused. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, just a couple of verses. It says in verse 23, when He'd sent the multitudes away, that's Jesus, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. When evening was come, He was alone there. But the boat, the one that's got the disciples in it, was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves because the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. I often wonder why Jesus did miracles the way He did them. I don't think He ever did it to show off because showing off comes out of insecurity and He certainly had none of that. He knew who He was and why He was there. And so the only explanation I can give for Jesus up on a mountaintop and being alone with God and looking down as He pauses in prayer and seeing the boat filled with His now friends in a storm-tossed ocean and He looks down and He sees them. The only explanation I can give you is this, that I think the fastest and most direct route was simply to walk on the water. I think he just did that because he said, my friends, the people I've been fellowshipping with are in need and wherever my people are, I want to be with them automatically. I want you to understand today, every single one of us, that whatever you're facing, the heart of God, God is never an observer. He never steps back and goes, gee, I hope you make it. He's not watching you, seeing, well, let's test them and see how they respond. He uttered these great words. He said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so Jesus comes to them in the fourth watch of the night, in the darkest time, because He says, I want to be with you. Verse 26 goes on. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And sometimes in the middle of our problems, in the middle of our challenges, we can't recognise Jesus with us. We don't see that He's with us. Matter of fact, sometimes when we're in the middle of trouble, in that dark time, the thought we have is, God, what happened to you? Did you forget my address? Where have you gone? Lord, I don't feel you close to me. Lord, I'm listening. I don't hear you speak. And these disciples, despite having walked with Jesus for such a long period of time and being so intimately acquainted with His grace and power, now find themselves completely missing who it is. They're saying, I can't even see. I think that's a ghost. How can you go, that's a ghost? How can you not go, well, who else is on the water? How can they not say, that's Jesus? But this much I know is that when our fears overwhelm us, we lose sight of Jesus. When we allow what's outside our boat to get inside of our boat and start to swamp us, we start going, 
God, where are you? Now, I want you to really get this this morning because these disciples do not lose relationship with Jesus. They just lost fellowship with Him. I have many times lost fellowship with Jesus, become unaware of His presence, felt like God had forgotten who I was and where I was. I've many times lost fellowship, but I never ever have lost relationship. Right now, I've got family members on the other side of the country and I, don't, I can't fellowship with them this morning. They're not here. But the relationship never changes. They are my children, my grandchildren. It'll make no difference whatsoever. And can I say to you that even their behaviours would make no difference to my relationship with them. I am their father. I am their grandfather. And when they're naughty, I'm still your granddad. And I want you to hear today from me. I want you to hear hopefully from the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear that if you're in a dark place right now, that you might feel like I've lost my connection to God, that the relationship with God has never, ever diminished. It's never been broken. The devil can't take it away. Circumstances can't destroy it. You have an unbreakable link with the eternal God. You and I, when we've received Christ, He says, that's it. There is now an unbreakable bond between us. You are mine. Fellowship may ebb and flow. You can come under pressure. You can get all kinds of stuff happening in your life. But we don't lose relationship, even if we lose fellowship. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. What does He say? And so I got this because I'm in command of the weather. And by the way, you know, this is the devil. And a whole, he doesn't give a whole lot of whys and wherefores. This was God's answer. It's me. I'm here. I have lost count of the number of times in my life where the only answer I got from God was this. I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm right there. I'm with you. I want you to notice that right now, despite Jesus walking on water, despite Him coming to where the disciples are, despite His declaration of who He was, I want you to notice that the storm still carries on. Because the presence of Jesus doesn't always mean the end of every storm. I'll leave that one set for a minute. The storm hasn't stopped yet. And I believe that He's with you and He's with me, whether the storm is raging still, even if my emotions prevent me being aware of Him, He's there anyway. And sometimes you've just got to stop and remind yourself and say, Lord, You're with me. You're with me. Your love is ever towards me. God is not ever looking at me going, boy, you're a disappointment. I thought you'd be better than this. One of the good things about walking with God is that you don't and can't fool Him. What are you going to, you know, you can con your mum and dad. I con mine. I'm sure I got conned by mine sometimes. But you know what? God's not like my mum and my dad. Can't con him. That's what makes his togetherness with you so incredibly powerful. Because he actually knows not only everything you've done and everything you're in right now, he knows everything you're going to do. And he still likes you. Go figure. Huh? I don't know anybody. I do not know. I've never met a person like Jesus. 
He's better than any human I ever met. He says, I'm here. I'm with you. Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And Peter gets it. If you're in a storm, best place to be is not in the boat with the whinging disciples. Best thing to be is out of the boat going to Jesus. Amen. I'm in a storm. I better go to Jesus. I'm in a storm. I got to get close to Jesus. I'm always amazed when some Christians, when they get in a storm, stop coming to church. I always go, what the? Like, hello? The best place to be in a storm is not stuck in a leaky boat. It's there, even if it's out in the water, more dangerous. But I'm headed to Jesus. And that's what Peter figures. Even if it's scary or difficult, I want to be where you are. But even he gets out there. Verse 30 tells us, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. The disciples in the boat, they have got no idea who it even is. They're blinded by their emotions. Peter is doing really well going to Jesus until he gets distracted. Distractions abound. The enemy can't stop you. The next thing he'll always want to do is distract you. Get you focused on what someone else said down the road. You know, what that church is doing, what that Christian leader did or didn't do. And get you occupied so that your conversation's about everything else except what Jesus wants you to do. Peter starts going to Jesus and gets distracted. In both these cases, we see people who lost fellowship because they allowed something outside of them to get inside of them. I'm praying today that you'll see Jesus in your storms. I'm praying that you won't allow what's happening around about you to prevent your fellowship with God. I don't have any, I don't think, simple answers other than this one. It will matter what you're in, find Jesus. No matter what you're in, find Jesus. Are you in a difficult job situation right now? Maybe there's uncertainty surrounding your work even at this late time of the year. And you say, Jeff, what should I do? I'd say to you, come before God, not out of worry. Not out of, oh God, please, I'm sorry I did all those things and now I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to be really extra special good. I'm going to read the Bible every day, not just on Sunday. And God, I promise you, I'll really tithe at least for two weeks. And God, I promise, don't do that. Or do those things, but I mean, don't have that kind of spirit. Just come to Jesus and say, Lord, you love me. You're with me. You're going to help me. And I'm going to find you in fellowship with you. I find when I do that, his presence is never far away. I'll finish by saying this because when Peter begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. The next verse says this. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and grabbed him. And pulled him up and saved him. I love the fact that though he's walking to Jesus, Jesus is obviously walking to him. The Bible says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Amen. I pray at this Christmas time, it'll be a lot more than Christmas trees and tinsel. I pray it'll be, God, I'm going to fellowship with you. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for every person here and online, both now and over the next week or so. I pray, God, that Every single one of us, Lord, there's some people, perhaps, Lord, who've felt that you were knocking at the door of their life, but they've been busy. 
Or they just weren't sure how it would work and what it would be like. And maybe, Lord, they never opened the door to their life. Unsure. But God, today, they hear you knocking on their heart again and saying, I want you. I want to come into your life. I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be more to you than just the God who came as a baby, died on a cross and rose from the dead. I want to be your friend. I want to be your Savior. I want to be your Lord. I pray, God, for each and every person like that in Jesus' name. Just while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you're here in the building this morning, online, I'll talk to you in a minute. But if you're here in the building and say, Jeff, that's me, you're talking about me. I want to receive Jesus. I want to open the door. I've kind of kept Him at arm's length a bit. I want to open the door to Him. If that's you, I'd love to pray. If you won't embarrass you, it's not why I'm here. I've come to help. And if that is you this morning and you'd like me to pray for you right now, right where you are, would you just slip your hand up so I can see it? And then I'm going to pray for you wherever you are up in the balcony, down below as well, wherever you are. Just slip it up and then put it back down again. I'd love the privilege of praying with you this morning in Jesus' name. I'll just look across the building one more time. Up the back, balcony. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the invitation of the Holy Spirit that keeps being sounded out across the earth. The Holy Spirit drawing people, saying this is for you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You can all look this way. If you want to say yes to Jesus, it is so simple for you to begin that journey with Christ. It is a journey and you do get to start it. Like every journey has got a starting point and it's got a starting time. This could be your starting time. All you've got to do if you're online with us or if you're in the building or wherever you are actually, let me tell you the three ways that you can say yes to Jesus in such a simple but powerful way. Number one, if you're in Australia, you can text YES to the number on your screen, 0488-826-392. It's on some literature out at the Connect Hub there on the resource wall. You can take that and do it later if you want. If you're outside of Australia or you'd rather get our help via email, then it's yes.metrochurch.org.au. Of course, if you're with us on the Metro Church online platform, you just click on the yes button. What'll happen after you do that? Well, a team of people in this church will every day, they actually intentionally do this. It's not automatic. They will send to the number or to the email address you give us a Bible verse every day for 30 days. It's a different one, of course. They'll send you a prayer included in that, different every day. Fits on one screen of a smartphone, by the way. It's not a lot. But it's enough to help you get started to pray and to hear what God has to say about your life. If you've got questions, or you can send them back, even anonymously, you can send them back and the team will answer the questions for you and help you. Because our prayer is that you will not just begin a journey with Christ, but that'll be an ongoing part of your future in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I pray that that inspires you. I pray it challenges you. I pray it really tugs at something deep inside of you. I don't think God's interested in how long people pray. That's why I think Jesus only ever once mentioned one thing about time and prayer. He said to the disciples, couldn't you tarry one hour? Because I think God wants to fellowship with us, not around a clock, but around our heart. And I would encourage you, set aside some time, just say, God, I'm here for you. 
I remember a time in my life where I felt like believing strong kind of prayer was just out of the question. And so I used to go for a walk and I used to say to Jesus, Jesus, I just want to talk to you today. And I used to be as honest as I could be. I'd say, I'm sorry I was lousy company yesterday. But I know you're here with me today. And I just talked to him like that. Like I would talk to a best friend. It was such a rich time. It's fantastic. Amen. Well, I reckon we should sing one more carol. I think it should be my favourite carol. Not because it's pretty, but because it talks about the faithfulness of God. It's oh, come all you faithful. And now I know that uh, John and Trudy, thank you, John and Trudy, they're up in the parents' room, by the way. Being great grandparents up there, well done. Thank you for that. They're going to be in the prayer space out there. So if you need prayer before you go, make sure you stop there and let someone believe with you. Solomon, welcome back, Solomon and Rosalind. 25th wedding anniversary celebration in New Zealand. Went to the whole of New Zealand. And uh, well done to you. Solomon will be doing ministry time online there in a minute. But cafe will be open. But how about we stand? Come on, here we go. Let's stand and sing this beautiful carol before we go. And we'll see you tonight at five, I hope. That'd be great. God bless you. See you somewhere soon.